Hi guys, it's Jill, and welcome back to the Equine In Theory podcast. On this week's episode, I want to talk a little bit about preparing for um, some things that your horse might encounter in the world, and um, the misconceptions surrounding positive reinforcement in that regard. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so let's just jump into it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Alrighty, guys. First off, I want to apologize for this podcast episode not going up on time. Um, I just spent all day yesterday and the day prior editing a YouTube video and preparing for that, and it took way longer than I expected, and all of a sudden it was 3 a.m., and I still hadn't recorded a podcast episode, but I was like, I I don't think I can talk right now. My brain is fried. So I just figured it would be best to go ahead and wait a bit and do it the next day. So now I'm recording it on Tuesday. My bad. This will not be a regular thing. Anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming here. There have been a few things that have made me, um, kind of inspire me to talk about this, I guess. Um, so I've gotten several DMs, obviously, over the period since I started doing positive reinforcement. And, um, you know, there are such a wide range of messages. Um, some of them are like, how do I do this? What's up with this? Can you explain this? And... I'm confused on this, or how does that work? Blah, blah, blah. You get the point. So, and I love answering those questions to the best of my ability. And um, every now and again, you'll get one that's just kind of like, I'm really curious as to your thoughts on this, but also this is X, Y, and Z as to why you're wrong. And I never really get that. I mean, I guess it's sort of a passive-aggressive thing, but um, it doesn't bother me because, I mean... Um, you know, of course things come across differently in text. So sometimes I'm like, are you being shady or do you actually like want to know? And you're listing reasons why you don't think that works. But anyway, regardless, I'm happy to answer and do my best to explain why I do what I do with the clicker train and the positive reinforcements and this weird voodoo tree hugger nonsense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, um, I got one the other day. I can't remember exactly what it said, but that is probably for the best, for, you know, confidentiality's sake. And I also don't want to embarrass anyone because I, I don't know what their intentions were. And, um, it wasn't a bad message at all. It was just like, um, I don't understand how you can just be so passive with your horse. 
and they were like, what about this situation or this situation? You're stuck at a new barn and you need to move or at a show and you need to get the horse on the trailer and he's not loading or if your horse spooks or if you're leading and your horse is constantly trying to graze but you need to go somewhere or, um, you know, a list of emergency situations um, and, you know, things like that. And what I kind of wanted to talk about is my thoughts on that. But before I get into that, I also wanted to discuss a meme I saw today that I was like, oh my god, this is just a prime example of people who just don't get it. So I'm going to explain it to you in case you happen to run across it. So it's like a deep fried meme, you know, those that are like super grainy and gross. Um, But anyway, it's a person holding a clicker and in the other hand, a leash that is connected to a dog. And it is depicted as a ferocious black dog with red eyes, and he's biting uh, the leg of another stick figure. And the um, the person with the clicker is saying to the person that's getting his leg bitten off, "Hold on a second, I just have to wait till he stops so that I can click him for stopping." <laughs> and um, it made me laugh because I was like, "This whoever made this meme clearly doesn't understand how." Um, positive reinforcement training works. Well, yes, we like to focus on rewarding um, good behavior and reinforcing that and making it more desirable for the animal to want to do. The moment to do that is before it happens. So um, I'm going to try to talk about that to the best of my ability. This is um, a big part of um, the positive reinforcement clicker training philosophy. Um, And it carries over into natural horsemanship or traditional riding, whatever, as well. Um, however, in my personal experience, not as much. Um, and uh, the point is you don't wait until the incident happens to try and correct the problem. Um, obviously, if, some, if your dog is biting someone's leg off, you need to keep everyone safe and do whatever you need to do to ensure the dog's safety and the person's safety. But after the incident is over, then we go back to the drawing board and say, oh, where did we go wrong? How did I miss this? And why didn't I prepare the animal before something like that happened? Um, And I feel that as a horse owner or a dog owner or a cat owner or what have you, it is your job to prepare the animal for the world, especially um, I was listening to the Drinking from the Toilet podcast earlier today. And um, and they were talking about how important it is to socialize young dogs to other dogs so that they don't become aggressive. And, um, you know, obviously if you get a dog later in life that wasn't properly socialized, then you've got a whole other animal to deal with. But it can still be dealt with um, in most cases. But um, as dog owners or, like I said, whatever animal, insert animal here, it is our responsibility to help our animals become comfortable in our world and um, show them that they can be confident and they can trust us and um, that the things that we ask of them won't push them past their capabilities or hurt them in any way or scare them. So um, how you go about that is by breaking the scary thing down or... um, If they have, I mean, usually, I would say in the case of a dog, usually, um, I would say, maybe I'm not a professional, that aggression towards strangers is usually fear-based, 
and they're protecting themselves or protecting their owners um and you have to socialize the animal and the same goes for horses and maybe a scary end of the arena you have to break it down and work in successive approximations make the arena a really good place to be and then gradually work your way over um by giving the horse something to do like targeting cones or um ensuring that there isn't a scary flappy thing over there maybe you can remove it and put it somewhere else where it's less threatening um, like if it's a tarp, you can shrink it down and then gradually make it larger. I mean, there are endless things to do. And in my experience with um, training horses traditionally, it was usually let's wait till there's a problem and then fix it. And I don't think that that's uncommon. Um, and I think a lot of people might jump to, well, that's just bad training. You had a bad trainer or you didn't know what you were doing. And that could very well be true. I don't claim to know everything, but I've ridden under a lot of really awesome people um, who are quite um, quite accomplished in the horse world, if you will. And um, my trainer and I, we worked through a lot of issues, but um, sometimes it just, we weren't as proactive as we could have been. Um, and sometimes, like with the end of the arena thing, it was just kind of kick until it's over. Or um, I think a good example would be maybe a horse that bucks. Um, you know, if, because um, Zoe used to buck a lot after jumps. And it wasn't like a buck buck, but um, she would like do a little crow hop thing. And my trainer would laugh and say, oh, it's so funny and um, how cute. And I don't, I'm not saying that that was wrong or bad, but I think that it might have been misinterpreted a little bit um, because ideally I would like my horse to trot or canter in the approach to a jump in a calm, balanced, relaxed rhythm and, you know, take the jump and then canter, trot away in the same rhythm that they took off in. Um, and when it becomes a consistent issue, um, and it was there for a little while with Zoe where she would just throw these little crow hops. And um, sure, it was cute and funny from that perspective. But now I'm like, hmm, maybe there is something there. Because um, I ride a lot of horses in the day and none of them do that. <laughs> and I, I think that labeling it as a spicy or hot mare thing and just laughing it off is not um, maybe effective. And, um, you know, of course, I don't want to give the impression that I'm one of those people that's like, oh my god, everything is an issue, the horse is constantly afraid and in pain and blah blah blah. But there was also a time where I rode and jumped Zoe and that didn't happen. And um, so now obviously there's not much I can do to fix that particular issue. Well, actually, I am working on that issue, but not actively jumping. Um, but. I hope to get back to that point, and um, so I think I think the biggest issue for us was I was riding in a saddle that didn't fit her, and I didn't know it didn't fit her because the maker of the saddle told me it did, and then I had two different saddle fitters look at it, and they were like, this saddle doesn't fit her at all, and um, then I did my own research and looked into it, and I was like, yeah, they're right. <laughs> so um, I, th I think that the horses are always communicating to us it's just up to our interpretation and unfortunately sometimes that's wrong and um, it's unfortunate for the horse when we're wrong because for me um, in that situation Zoe was likely 
um, crow hopping because her saddle didn't fit and landing was maybe uncomfortable or jumping was uncomfortable. And um, she was trying to let me know that. And, you know, I was basing off of my trainer and it's my fault for not looking into it further myself, but I was just like, oh, she's just having fun. She'd really like that jump or maybe she got a weird spot and was you know, she was like, oh, I can do better. You know, that's anthropomorphic to me to say like, oh, she's so sassy or like uh, whatever. And I think that's, um, I, I just, I think that that is a problem. And for us, um, now what I would want to do with that, if a problem comes up and I haven't actively, um, tried to eliminate it prior to the, the question or task in, the task in question, um, then I would go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, um, let's try and knock out pain first and see if we can, um, locate an area where maybe she's uncomfortable, have a chiropractor, a body worker, or a, um, a saddle fitter, make sure her feet are good, a dentist, um, see if there are any issues, maybe have like a, a checkup done on her by the vet. You know, there are a hundred things that could be an issue. But um, I think we can always be proactive and do our best to try and make sure that um, our horses aren't uncomfortable because, you know, training can only go so far if the horse is in pain. Um, but if they're not, then um, there are endless, um, <laughs> endless solutions to behavioral problems um, as far as training goes. But if it's pain-based, then it gets a little trickier because obviously you don't want the horse to be um, fighting through the pain, um, either to please you or to get a treat or to avoid pressure. Um, yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> I'm a duck. Apparently I'm also having such a hard time talking, but I hope I'm getting my point across, um, with this, that, um, it's not, the it's not the goal of clicker trainers to say oh we just let our animals get away with everything and we just wait till they're good and click and get them food like that's not the principle the principle is to um set our animals up for success so with a dog that is biting someone's leg in that example you obviously in that example you wouldn't continue letting the dog bite the person's leg and say oh i just i'll just wait until he stops and i'll click and give him food <laughs> like it's that it just it's not like that it's um the goal with an actual clicker trainer not this awful clicker trainer in this gif i mean meme whatever god brain is not working tonight i'm so sorry guys i hope that i'm getting my point across here um but the goal would be to um maybe have the dog um walk and have a really good heel and have him be comfortable walking beside you and then maybe just take him for a walk around your house and make sure that um that he he sticks to that and he he truly knows um how to heal and stay at your side and then maybe you go for a walk for just a few minutes and maybe there's a person with um just a person walking down the street really really far away and then you can just leave and then gradually ask that person to get closer and closer and work it up that way. I'm not a dog trainer and there are hundreds of videos on how to do this with positive reinforcement out there. Um, but the idea, 
the idea, <laughs> I'm so sorry and so annoyed with myself right now, but the idea is that you work in successive approximations to um, ensure that the animal stays comfortable no matter what you're asking of them. So you don't just go from, oh, I've he walks really nicely in my house, he walks nicely around my house, so now I can go um, to a busy intersection with a ton of people and they're walking dogs and stuff, you'll totally blow the dog's mind. Especially if it's one that's not an overly friendly or not well socialized dog. And so I think taking precautionary measures to ensure that the animal is set up for success is the best way to go about things. And what happened a lot with me in the bucking example was that I would just end up pulling Zoe's head up and obviously that's not super comfortable for her. And though my trainer was laughing, this also was not a behavior that we particularly liked. So she'd be like, pull her head up and kick her on. Or, um, you know, I've been on other horses before and they start bucking. And the mentality was always, well, if you stop them while they're bucking or rearing, then they learn that that's a way to get out of work. Which could be true, but... I don't think that the answer is kicking the horse on and forcing them to continue going because usually the horse is either afraid, in pain, uncomfortable with what you're asking, or confused or frustrated. So, like, the, I would not be so keen to, if I asked a horse to canter and they threw a butt, to just be like, oh, you've got to canter now. I would be like, okay, the issues I just listed before, does the horse not understand what I'm asking? Or does his saddle not fit? Or do his teeth need to be done? What is causing this problem instead of... Hello, Snapchat. Instead of just being aggressive about it. And um, I think that the horse world can stand to go in a direction where um, instead of just having this tough guy mentality or tough love, you know, oh, I'm sorry, it's hard, you have to do it anyway. Instead of that... Let's make it easy for the horse to be right. Then that doesn't mean you don't have to, or you can't jump, or you can't ask your horse to canter if they throw a buck. The point is to make them comfortable and make sure that they understand what you're asking. And how I'm doing that with Zoe is I'm restarting her on the ground. Um, for example, the other day um, I was shooting this video for um, a camera company called Insta360. And um, I was like, it'd be really cool if I can work around this camera at Liberty. And then later in the video, I can hop on Zoe and ride her around and um, ride around the camera. And then maybe like do a little bit where I'm holding it up above my head. And I was so excited about this because that camera is super freaking dope. Like it's not sponsored on this podcast. Um, but I honestly really enjoyed working with the camera because I didn't have to worry about like trying to stay in frame when I'm filming. But um, I definitely pushed too hard because when I got on Zoe, um, she was very tight in her back and I, w I had literally just had a county saddle fitter out here and I haven't sent the trial saddle back yet. So I just used that when I got on her because I knew it fit her like perfectly. I rode in it um, when the fitter was here and she was absolutely wonderful. Like on a loose rein in the bitless and just hacked around so beautifully. But for some reason the other night, it's it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect every time. Um, and the fact that it's not close to uh, consistent uh, makes me suspect holes in the training, or rather indicates that there are holes in the training. 
Um, because when I got on her, she was just really tight in her back. And um, she started jigging a lot. And I was like, oh, this is a disaster. And I was like, okay, well, maybe she just needs to walk for a little bit and let her back swing and loosen up. And um, I just, I sort of went back to my usual mentality because I really wanted to ride for this video. And um, I pushed her for my own personal gain there, even though I knew the second I got on her that um, it really, it wasn't going to go well. And I would be better off um, emphasizing um emphasizing our cues and training points from the ground and um, I mean the reality of the fact is um, me and my boss actually did this the other night we calculated the percentage of body weight that I would be on Zoe and I think it came out to hold on I'm gonna do math real fast so I get this exactly correct <laughs> okay I'm back from the calculator um, so I am roughly 10% of Zoe's body weight um, I'm a little I'm a, it's like between 10 and 11 um, so her carrying 10 to 11% of her body weight would be me carrying 13 to 14 pounds or 12 to 13. I mean, um, so that's like carrying a pretty heavy cat and I could not imagine having a heavy cat strapped to my back and then someone saying, okay, now go run around in circles for a while. Also, please jump. Um, I wasn't jumping her, but like the point is I think that horses often get moved too fast and that's where you get the behavioral issues because um, we don't really take the time to build the horse up, at least in most training situations that I've been privy to. Um, privy to, sorry, trying to use a big word and I failed. Um, <laughs> but I know that there are some people that really, really do make the effort to start the horse on the ground and develop a top line and then they start training with weights and they make the horse comfortable and they gradually increase the weight so that the horse builds strength that way. But I have never personally seen that done until this year. Um, and it was from a clicker trainer. That doesn't mean that only clicker trainers do it, but um, I've never seen it done in traditional training, but that doesn't mean it's not. Um, I think that's more of a, maybe a classical dressage thing, um, which is not super practiced in America. Um, but anyway, so, Honestly, it was unfair of me after Zoe hasn't been ridden really consistently to just hop on her and be like, okay, let's do walk trot and see how a canter goes. The canter went terribly. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the video, it was not good. And I couldn't even, like, it physically hurt me to include that in the video, but I was like, I want to be able to look back on this and see the difference. And um, I know that there are going to be people that are like, clicker training doesn't work, look how awful that canter is. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks, but I also haven't worked on that at all with her and I just expected it to be okay. And when the saddle fitter was out here, she was perfect. I don't know what the conditions were that made it so good, but I didn't canter her. I mean, I just walked and trotted and she was so loose in her back and just comfortable. Um, but for some reason, the other night when I hopped on her, it was just not the same. I mean, it was a different time of day. Maybe that was it, I don't know. But um, she, she was just very uncomfortable. And she got racy and um, was just like trotting really fast or slow and just didn't feel comfortable. And it, it just like made me, it made me really sick that I was like, Ugh, I, I need to stop pushing. And I eventually did. I was like, I just need to stop and we're just going to walk and the video will be boring. <laughs> but at that point, I picked up the selfie stick and carried it around above my head and got some pretty cool shots. So, um, 
I hope the video is uh, decent. But um, there were just a lot of things, a lot of tail swishing, a lot of ears back and stuff that I was just like, I have so much work to do. And um, I need to stop rushing it. I wrote the pressure to get back in the saddle blog post for a reason. Um, and I need to hold to that. And trust me, it's hard when everyone you see is riding and um, whether their horses are super calm and relaxed or not, it's really hard to watch a bunch of people riding and jumping and being successful, even if it's not perfect. And um, I'm just like, I can't, I can't do that to Zoe because she's, I can't push her that way. She physically will not end up like those horses that I see that look successful. And obviously, keyword being look successful. I don't know the full story. Some of them could be, some of them could not be. I feel like I'm overqualifying every sentence I say, but I don't, I don't want to give the wrong impression. But it's just, Zoe, it just doesn't work like that with her. Um, I can't just hop on her and expect a stellar, relaxed ride where she tracks up and is loose in her back and is happy to do whatever I ask of her. Um, I've got a lot more work to do. And this is the point I'm trying to make is that I can't just get on and be like, oh, she's, um, she's cantering in place. I just need to like make her let her stride out and make her, um, lengthen instead of this awkward choppy canter or the same with trot. Um, and that used to sort of be my mindset. I can't tell you how many times I'd be at a clinic with an Olympian and Zoe would be doing that same tight backed canter and they'd be like, go galloper for a second and let her stretch out and then come back. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it riled her up and made it worse. Um, it just, it really depended on a lot of other environmental factors, I guess, or, um, her comfort level. But, the point I'm making is I don't think that that is the right answer. I don't think that taking a chance and by pushing the horse even more, like with the end of the arena thing, kicking them on or bucking, kicking them on, or if they're tight and cantering in place, kicking them on, I don't think that's the right answer. I think the right answer is to back up, eliminate pain, check to see if you're frustrating the horse, if they're confused, if they even understand what you're asking, and how can you be a better trainer? How can you make it clearer to the animal what it is that you want or that the thing that they are afraid of in the case of the dog is okay and is friendly and how you would like them to respond to the stimuli you present to them. So I think that that is pretty much my whole point here. And in talking about Zoe, I kind of <laughs> found more of my point that I just, it's really, really easy to get sucked into well, maybe just let's try a little more. Let's see what we can get. Let's see what happens. She was good the other day, so she'll be she'll be good now. And um, I I think I overestimated shortchanging my um, my training because she was good that one day. So I was like, oh, maybe she's good under saddle now, and it's magic, and the clicker training just transferred, and we're good. That's not the case, um, and it might be for some horses, but for her, I think I'm going to have to actually work at it a little bit, which actually is really exciting for me, because if she was just all of a sudden good under saddle, I wouldn't learn anything. So um, it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be something that we have to work on, but I'm totally fine with that, because... Um, I don't need to ride to enjoy my horse and I have a lot of fun working with her on the ground and, um, there's still a lot of things we need to work on on the ground as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm just excited for having all of these things to do and instead of just being bored, like 
uh, just a horse that just knows how to do everything and doesn't have any problems with it. Um, that's great. And that's the goal. But, um, I do like a project. I've always liked project horses. I just never really knew how to solve the projects in a way that, um, produce the result I was going for. I could always have a horse that would be successful at a show and jump clean and have a decent dressage test, but eh, decent might be a little generous, but, um, but like we would get through the show and we might even place, but I never got exactly what I wanted. And the horse was never a hundred and ten percent confident in me. And that's what I want from Zoe. So, um, you know, to give one more example, I read um, a blog post about this. I think it was on Hippologic, um, and I've talked to Adele about this quite a bit. Um, but a, a head-up cue. So if your horse like hauls you over to the grass to graze, um, I saw some like it was a, it was a snotty blog post, I think, um, or an Instagram comment or something like that. But it was snotty. It was like, so what am I supposed to do when the horse pulls us over to the grass? I'm supposed to just like say okay, wait there, let me go get my clicker and some treats and wait till you put your head up to stop. And that's not, <laughs> that's, that's understandable that people would think that. Um, because we are also used to waiting until something happens to try and work on the issue. But, and I feel like everyone can, can guess what I'm going to say here. And I'll say it one more time for the people in the back. You work on it before it happens. So, you train a head-up cue and you can set up simulations like in your stall if your horse is stalled or if he's on a dry lot you can do the same thing you just get like a bucket and put some grass in there and um you know you can develop your cue for head down or it's okay to graze or what have you and then when the horse puts its head up you can click and treat and introduce a head-up cue so um you begin to have a communication system with your horse that says it's okay to graze now and also I would like you to pull your head up and that way you don't have to resort to jerking on your horse's face to get them to walk away from the grass um you will have worked on that before you get to that grass patch and then when you do suddenly your horse is like they have confidence in you that you will allow them to graze when it is okay and also they will still be performing a reinforcing behavior when um, when they're not allowed to graze because you will be rewarding them for not grazing, if that makes sense. So, the, and this is the other thing, and the last thing I think I'm going to talk about because we're running at 30 minutes here and my throat hurts. <laughs> um, but I think something that is super common, especially in horse training and maybe even in like dog training, if you're not a super dog trainer and you just like kind of have your household dog, is we focus so heavily on the behaviors we don't like because you know, we're always taught with horses, well, even with dogs, that your animal is going to usurp you if you don't assert your authority. And if they don't respect you, they're going to take advantage of you. And in some cases, the behaviors can look like that, but you have to consider what is reinforcing this behavior. Why does the horse find this reinforcing? Why does the dog find this reinforcing? What in the environment, what in his life is making this the option he's picking? And then on the flip side, like, so let's take it back to the grass example. So the horse pulls you to the grass. Obviously the grass is very reinforcing to the horse. 
But um, say he walks past the patch of grass and doesn't pull you to it. Most of us just keep walking. We don't reinforce the horse for it. Or we might give him a little scratch on the neck. But do you know that that's reinforcing to your horse? Often scratches have to be conditioned as a reinforcer. Some horses find them absolutely amazing. Zoe, it takes her a while to warm up to them, actually. If I just scratch her on the neck, she's like, whatever, stop. And if we're in a training session, she's like, please stop touching me. I'm working. <laughs> At cue me something. Give me something to do. Um, and to be fair, I haven't really worked on um, uh, scratches as a reinforcer. But if I'm just out chilling with her in the paddock, I can scratch this one spot on her neck and she just gets the lip going. But it takes her a second to realize what's going on. So um, my point is that in that scenario, we don't reward the horse or we might do something that makes us feel good, like saying good boy. But <clears throat> those aren't primary reinforcers. Um, scratching scratching's debatable. Um, I've seen a few studies that say it is reinforcing and some that say horses just learn faster with food which is a known primary reinforcer but it's all about knowing your animal like some dogs don't want to work for food and they'd rather work for play so i mean it's really about what's reinforcing to the individual every training session is individualized for the particular individual it's not a generic step-by-step -step. training plans have to be adaptable but um that said when we walk past the patch of grass, most of us do not reward the horse. We don't say, good, you walked past it. And um, so then that's not a very reinforcing behavior for the horse. If absolutely nothing happens when they walk past it, they would rather risk the pulling on the face for a bite of grass because it's more reinforcing. And it might even be more reinforcing than the relief of the lead rope after you pull their head off because most of them, what do they do? They dive back down and go back for a piece of grass. So... Um, I think that there is a lot we can do to prepare our horses um, for things like the scary arena or being ridden under saddle, like the weight training and making sure that they're totally comfortable uh, to the best of our ability. And we can also um, teach them how we'd like them to behave. Because as I, I think I've said in a few podcasts before, also sorry about the horses running around my house, the little kitty cats, they say we are so fast. <laughs> anyway, we have to teach them how we'd like them to behave because horses are going to do what's natural to them, what's most reinforcing to them, unless you give something in their repertoire. If you put something in there, like um, horses don't know a head up cue unless it's something scary is in the environment or I'm satiated and I don't need any more food. So um, you have to install a head up cue or um, offering a behavior like hip targeting. Yeah, the horse can do it, but they don't know it, you know, and you have to put those things in repertoire so that you can ask that of your horse in a very clear way where they know what you're asking and um, to install those behaviors. And um, I think the biggest one is when horses mug you um, and they want the food. You have to install a standing politely beside you, waiting patiently for the treat behavior. And if you don't, the horse is going to do what's natural and what usually works for them. So I think that being proactive is the point of this podcast. We'll call it proactive ponies or something. <laughs> um, but the goal is to set up the animal to be successful in the environment, be it because something's scary or because you want them to be able to complete a task or you would like them to behave a specific way around you. 
and not come into your space or come on top of you or pull you to grass or mug you, you know, all of those things can be avoided through training. And you don't have to just punish the horse every time they do something you don't like. Um, and that was one of the DMs I got was just like, how do I, like, my horse is very rude and pushy. And I think that the first thing to do is to remove those labels and stop saying things like that because you're limiting yourself as to what you can solve. Because if your horse is rude and pushy, then he's not changing. But if your horse is exhibiting behaviors that you would like to change, then you can do something about that because he's currently doing it, not it's something he is. Does that make sense? It's too late for me to be trying to word sentences eloquently and I apologize. (laughs) Um, But as tedious as semantics are, I think that they are important because language can limit us and when we say something is this, then that's what it is. But if you say, it's malleable, I can change it, it's adaptable, I can introduce something new that will be more reinforcing, then you've got something to work with there. So I think that that is what I would like to leave you all with, to be proactive, to prepare your animal for the real world so that things don't scare him. And I don't mean just like flooding, like throwing a tarp at it until the horse is panicked enough that he just shuts down. (laughs) I'm talking about what I suggested earlier, working up in small approximations so that the horse never goes over fear threshold and they don't have to panic. They can just stay at the same little bit of level of like, oh, what is that? That's kind of an interesting, potentially threatening thing over there. But then you can work up to where they never go, oh my God, I'm going to die and then have to come down into there's nothing I can do and go into a state of learned helplessness. So that is last thoughts. I think that I have covered a wide range of things and I hope that um, my rambling and kind of chaotic brain tonight made sense to at least one person um let me know what you guys think and um be sure to leave a positive review for the podcast i promise it will continue being posted um on tuesdays i just i messed up this week um but i hope that you guys enjoyed it and maybe learned something or um maybe got inspired thinking about something from a different perspective so Um, Have a good one, guys. Be sure to check us out on Jet Equithory on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. And uh, check out my website, jetequithory.com, for maybe the blog post that I mentioned earlier or sale horses or um, how to contact me. So um, check that out, and uh, I will see you guys. Talk to you. I mean, I will speak in your ears next Tuesday. Have a good one.